Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild podcast. Two men who are on the same level. <laughs> Low. Lower. Matt, Matt Drury over D- there. Dumb and Dumber. Tim Chelswick <laughs> right. over there. <laughs> and we are powered by DeerCast. And um, so we're excited that people got to see our Craig Morgan show last week. If you didn't see it, definitely go back. Yeah. Watch it. It's worth the price of admission. It was fun, man. He's such a, he's such a, I, I texted him later on that day to say thank you for, you know, for coming mm-hmm. on and because he didn't have to do that. <laughs> and no, uh, he was he's just such a nice guy. Later after that, I, I think he had a show that night. Then mm-hmm. later on he had texted and said, hey, you know, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And I'm just like, again, didn't have to do that either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just a nice guy. Did he say anything about me or? Yeah. He said, I really wish Tim would have sang Seminole Wind. Ah. <sighs> Yeah. Okay. I <laughs> so I almost texted him. Like I'm not close enough to him. Like like a Dustin or anything. Sure, like, sure. I almost texted him before the show to say, "Hey, here's this running gag we have. <laughs> I, I need you him. to ask him if he'll sing a John Anderson <laughs> song for you." Well, you know what? Funny you should mention that, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who got my guitar? <laughs> Just so happens I brought a guitar. That would today. have been like the uh, murder she wrote gag <laughs> that I wasn't was like, in on. <laughs> Oh, All right. good times. Yeah. So we've got another country music connection with our guest this week. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So we have Erin Merrill. She's a DeerCast contributor, longtime DeerCast contributor. That's right. Like, since 2018, I believe. One of my faves. Yes, mine too. Uh, she is on the Maine Outdoor Heritage Fund Board, so she gets to fun help Al- or fund both. She's on the it's, fun board. <laughs> Who wants Damn, to go to I'm a water excited park? about today. <laughs> so she gets to essentially allocate uh, conservation dollars in the state of Maine. Yeah. Uh, and she is a moose hunter, a bear hunter, a whitetail hunter, a turkey hunter. Listen, if we had a sound bo- bite that said, and I'm a big boy, but I'm a big girl, she would be the definition. We need to get that. Yeah. The country music connection is she is friends with country music artist Brian White. I see. <laughs> I. What songs does I don't know him? I guess he he did a duet with Leanne Rhymes back in the nineties. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Aaron, the early by the days. way, welcome aboard. Thank you. And your first question is, what were some of Brian White's hits? I'm in the so right place. So much for pretending. Ah, yes. That was yeah. a big one. Mm-hmm. It's Sitting like, on uh, go. Yeah. That's like Tim's soundtrack. Nineties <laughs> country. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Uh, it hurts because it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we wanted to get Aaron on. Uh, Aaron has uh, a, a, a unique perspective on the outdoors. Uh, she lives in a, a part. So, with Deercast and our shows and everything, we typically we kind of focus on the Midwest just by default. But apparently, people hunt whitetails in other parts of the country. You know, the Northeast, which is where. Mer- uh, Aaron is from we actually have a pretty big following up there and always have like through the VHS days and the rental shelf days like mm-hmm. Mark and Terry in New York and and the Northeast in general they it was always really really good for us and from a standpoint of a diehard hunters you know a lot of tradition up there and <clears throat> you know Mark and Terry used to hunt in the Catskills way back when with turkey hunting and some of the Randy Panic some of the early Drury mm-hmm. Outdoors sure. team members that's where they were from so 
yeah, I mean, we have a little bit of a history and tradition there. Um, but <clears throat> some, some, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of hunters in general in that area. Yeah. yeah. So Aaron, first off, maybe, maybe walk through, walk us through what, what a, an East coasters perspectives of the Midwest whitetail hunting culture is because it, you and I have kind of an ongoing gag about deer weights. Oh yeah. I don't. Un- so in the Northeast, we don't gauge deer by how big their antlers are. So it's always interesting when I do interviews and people are like, I shot 160, 170, 180 class deer. And to, I cannot put that into perspective because we, we weigh them. And then we're like, oh, you shot an eight pointer, a nine pointer. Like, I don't know how to measure antlers. Mm-hmm. So what's a, what's a good weight range up there? Like a trophy weight range Two over 200 pounds. <clears throat> so is that pretty typical or. Uh, it's more typical than you would expect. Um, there, we have one of the hunters on our property that's taken a 200 plus pound deer the past two years. Cause we're only allowed to shoot one deer. Okay. And that, is that just purely based on deer density? Yeah. 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 So I could go out there and potentially shoot a two hundy. Uh, that's <laughs> right. Just come back and tell people, yeah. Shot a two hundy in the north. Exactly. I got no pictures of it, but uh, <laughs> just had to go by I, my I word. I find it fascinating because also isn't I, I don't know about your area specifically, but I feel like kind of in that area isn't like tracking a, yeah. a, a big way of hunting out there. So meaning you're actually tracking the deer's. You know, you know, from you're following it more or less and trying to catch up to it tracking and get it. A sh- tracking it. I don't yeah. know any way else to say this. <laughs> the, the Benoits did it a lot in Vermont. Yeah. Um, and then how blood is mm-hmm. in Maine and he will do workshops on tracking deer. And basically you hope for a little bit of snow and you get on a fresh track and you're you're gone for hours just following that deer. Also can't be easy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's no. the exact opposite of sitting in a tree stand yeah, for waiting hours. Yeah, waiting for them to come for, to you. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and, and I imagine the lower deer densities probably help that process because some of the places I hunt are so loaded with does and like there's a billion tracks and you, I don't know how you'd be able to discern Hashtag what's blessed. your deer, right? <laughs> I don't know how you'd be able to tell which is your deer that you're following. You can, you can tell a buck from a doe track. Dutton. Well, just in terms of how many, <laughs> in terms of how many deer tracks there are, I like you feel stupid. <laughs> do I look stupid? <laughs> it, there's just a pile of tracks there. Like, how do you pick out one and go with it? Well, typically, if you know you're on a buck track, you're just you're focusing on that track, and the does will do. You know, you can just tell if it's a buck mm-hmm. and a doe paired up, and then they'll split and they'll come back together and. I don't yeah. know. It takes it takes a while to get used to it and be able to know what you're looking for. But then once you do, it's sort of like deer trails. You know, once mm. you know what you're looking for, you see them all the time. Mm. And so once you know what you're looking for with that buck track, you're good to go. That's what fascinates me about it. And like hunting in general, so many different, you go out west, you go northeast, you know, the midwest. There's so many different styles of hunting. Northwest. <clears throat> and... <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, North Blacktail, whatever, Sitka Deer, whatever. But what's fascinating about it, like, we would not be, I, that would be a very tough thing for us to do. <laughs> Whereas I feel like they could come and do what we do pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, just sit here, <laughs> fart around on your phone for a little bit, yeah. and eventually something Wait will show up. Wait till about 30 minutes before dark, and you should see something. <laughs> well, we were talking about Aaron coming in and doing some hunting here, and it's pr- like, it was funny because because uh, I had mentioned like oh, you got to wade through a bunch of does to get to a buck, and that was just so outside of your outside mm-hmm. of your experiences. Like seeing a deer is is kind of a big thing. Yeah, yeah, we don't have the numbers, you know, because we have harsh winters. We have we have bear and coyote and bobcat that are you know stalking does right now, waiting for those fawns to drop. So it's a whole cycle where we need people to do the predator hunting in order mm-hmm. to continue to support the deer. Um, Maine just did this big deer yard push where they're spending $40 million to buy public or private land to work, to um, have those areas become deer yards. So deer will have a place to hang out in the winters and hopefully we won't have such um, mortality rates. And maybe explain the concept of deer yard because it's not as it's not as pertinent of a thing, especially kind of in our in our right. longitude. Just it's not. So we get a whole lot of snow, yeah. <laughs> and the deer come together. I mean, typically we'll have five, six feet of snow or more um, in the winters, and so deer will congregate together in um, softwood areas. So your cedars, your pines, your firs. And that's where they hang out all winter to be able to browse on food, be able to stay out of a lot of the harsh weather mm-hmm. conditions that we have. And so when you take those areas away and they become more exposed, then they're more apt to um, die off during the winter. So we really need, we've had some issues with the spruce budworm in the 70s and 80s. We've had severe flooding, harsh winters. And so we're at a point now where um, folks are really coming together to figure out how do we protect habitat so -hmm. that the deer are going to be able to to thrive because we ultimately want to have hunting and more hunters come in and help uh, with the population. So what would qualify someone or this private ground to become a deer yard? What what qualifications have a sign? (laughs) Welcome here. here. (laughs) Deer welcome. Well, it sounds pretty uh, easy. It's places that have, you know, the softwoods already established or um, it might abut some um, land. Like in the western part of our state, we have a lot of natural, I think it's a natural forest that's up through sort of like where the um, Appalachian Trail comes up. So if it abuts some good property, if we know it has um, the softwoods, it has all the conditions, if it's a boggy area. You know, the state, the biologists will go out and inspect it and then they come back and sort of have their map of where they, they want to go. So are they, is the state purchasing it? Are they more or less, is this some sort of like a lease agreement? No, they're purchasing it. Interesting. Yep. They got uh, $40 million through the, um, through the government, through the state. Has it been, has it been well received from the public or not? Yes. Yeah. Show me the money. I think that's a Missouri thing. I think that we've got an article on DeerCast on this. And I think you wrote it some time ago. This has been uh, probably two or three years. We can in the link making. to the article here. Oh, 
So that people don't have to go search in our awesome search tool. <laughs> <laughs> we'll link it in the show notes for sure. Um, the other, the other tough thing for deer and just wildlife in general, and, and I guess hunters too, and outdoorsmen and women are ticks. Yes. <laughs> she so yes. There's so many of them. I don't understand um, why it's so bad up there. And I know that it's been, it's been like that forever, but why is it so bad? The, is it a climate thing or what's the issue? Um, we hear that, you know, you'll hear that it's climate change. You'll hear that um, our winters are not as severe. People don't burn their fields the way that they used to. So you're not getting rid of the, you know, the little itty bitty ticks before they evolve. Yeah. Um, and we have turkeys. We have so many turkeys. Oh. <laughs> And so, like, come kill them all. Okay. We're sending them to huh. Texas I see. because we okay. have so many of them. Talking to two guys who are turkey one. preservationists here. Seriously. We can kill two in, the, two in the spring and five in the fall. What? Wow. Yeah. You can come hit, kill them. Hit them with a car. I mean, <laughs> just you kill could. them. It's everywhere. So are, are you saying that the turkeys are like a vector for, like a host for ticks? They yeah. eat ticks. So I don't know if they're going where the food is or if they're bringing them. We also have a lot of possum now, which also eat ticks. That's what, I, that's what I'm thinking to myself. Like you're talking about a couple animals that eat ticks. Why do you have so many if you have so many of these animals? Yeah. I don't get it. And I thought you guys had a, like harsh winters. So it's not that bad up the, not Or is it just it's, not what it used to be? Or are you lying about it? It's not winters? what it used to be. Okay. It's not what it used to be. You know, so... Like this past winter, the past few winters, we haven't had like the two foot, three foot snowstorms that we've gotten, you know, in my lifetime. Yeah. It'll be like three inches, four inches, five inches. And so oh. we don't, we just don't have the, the amount of snow, at least we haven't in the past few years, which have been great for deer. Mm -hmm. Not so great for ticks. Mm -hmm. or not so great for us with the ticks. Yeah. Do you call them snowmobiles or snow machines? Snowmobiles. Okay. That's a colloquialism. Uh, just depends like, on where you are. Like Craig like Morgan pop. calls them snow, snow machines up in Alaska. I see. Pop and soda. Yep. yep. I grew up as a pop guy. You're weird. Up soda. Central soda. Yeah. I mean, no one's perfect. <laughs> no. Nope. Obviously. <laughs> Whoever's listening to this would know that. <laughs> so true. So, so Aaron, as, as you look, kind of look back on everything you've written for DeerCast, it's, I mean, it's, it's got to be hundreds of articles at this point. What are some of the ones that stand out the most to you? I love interviewing all the hunters that are not in the, in the Northeast. It's because <laughs> oh, yeah. I think it's fascinating to know what it's like to deer hunt somewhere else. Sure. Yeah, just getting a different, a different perspective on things. Yeah, I'd I'd like to know more about the moose hunt that you had because I find that fascinating. I mean, that's a animal the size of a freaking small truck or big truck, actually. I guess it's a yeah. it's a huge, huge animal. Yeah, huge. So, what take us kind of through that whole process? And is it a draw up there? Like, how mm -hmm. do you get a moose tag? Is it a draw? You yeah you you sell some body parts and <laughs> keep your fingers crossed and hope for the best. Yeah, how many years have you been putting in before you got the tag? I had twenty one points. Woo. So you one point a year. Wow. And I'm so. How many years did it take then? Twenty one. <laughs> oh my. Hey, quick math. I was wondering. <laughs> no, I, you know I'm mad because it didn't get drawn for Iowa last year at four four points. <laughs> it's like yeah, maybe this year. 
some of these tags, you know, out west or these big game tags, it's it's crazy. It's a, you hear a lot of people. It's like oh, I got twenty six points it's a lifetime. Like, oh, yeah, and sometimes they never get it. Yeah. Right, or they get it when they're eighty two. Yeah, in Maine, I think you have to be seventy five, and if you've never gotten one, the state what? will give you one. Jeez. Yeah. Thanks. Kind of wait until hey, the buzzer. Th- thanks a lot. Yeah, right. <laughs> See, if you're, so out. for Mainers, you can only get one point a year. But for out-of-staters, you can buy as many points as you want. And each point is one chance to be drawn that year. That seems um, understand. unfair. Right. And they also have um, a bidding process. So the state will give away 10 tags. And you just sort of send them a note and say how much you're willing to pay for a tag. And right now, they're like 25 to $30,000 that people will pay for a moose tag. I would not do that. Yeah. I want to be clear. I am not that person. (laughs) (laughs) So all in, like, like annually, what does it cost to apply for a point? Um, It's $15 for me. I think it's a little bit more for out-of-staters. It's about like us putting in for a bear tag in Missouri. Yeah. You you know what I mean? Like your chances are low, but it's a, it's low risk too. Which I did put in for a Missouri elk and bear tag. I'm, I will totally go. Is that closed yet? It's open, I think for the month of May. So as of the time (laughs) of the recording, you can still do it. Yeah. I'm not really interested in the bear side of it, but the elk side I find pretty fascinating. Dude, to be able to take an elk in Missouri. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Not have to drive all the way back. <laughs> you drive six hours back with it instead of 16 or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, heck. That's that, not a great yeah. reason. I understand this, but I'm just thinking as, logically. As a family guy <laughs> and all the logistics prices. that you got to figure out. Well, yeah. yeah, gas in and of itself. So, okay. Right. So so you, you get the moose tag and then what do you start mm-hmm. thinking? Like, where am I going to go? Uh, can you go in your backyard? So you- you have to apply for which zones you want to hunt in when uh-huh. you buy your tag or your, you know, your chance. Okay. Um, so I got drawn for zone two, which is basically you drive to Canada, turn around and you're there. Oh. Um, we're at the very top of Maine. And so I immediately reached out to a guy that I interviewed for DeerCast hey. um, and said, okay, Wayne, I got drawn. I need a guide Time to because there was no way it's five hours north. I was not going to have time to go scouting for yeah. moose. So I hired a guide. What I'm hearing is deer cast killed yeah. a moose. What I'm hearing yeah. is that we're owed to some moose meat. <laughs> That's right. How is, how is moose meat? Is it, I mean, is it comparable? Delicious. Is it like elk or like an, <clears throat> one of those kind of big game lean? I mean, I have no idea. It is, I don't know. It's, I like it better than venison. Oh. Hmm. Mm. Shots across the bow. All right. Yeah. Well, maybe me get I mean, how many pounds of, of vin, or, you know, how many pounds of moose meat was there at the end of the day? It's called double M. So uh, my my moose dressed at nine eighty six. Good little guy. So it was over twelve hundred on the hoof. So Holy I brought cow. home more about four hundred and fifty pounds of meat. That's a ton. I mean, that's not a ton, but. <laughs> it's a lot. So literally a ton of meat. Well, no, it's not literally. Well, I mean, I'm thinking back to the elk I killed in Utah. I came back with 220, and it was more, I mean, it was years worth. It's like, yeah. I can't do. What am I supposed to do with all I this? I gave a lot to you. Yeah, I still got some of it. It's historical meat. It's right next to the mammoth meat. Ah, uh, yes, the old mammoth meat. Double M. Double M. So uh, did you, you gun kill that, right? Yes. 
And how like I'm cur- such a big animal. I'm curious, like where the shot hit, how long, like what did he do when you hit him? How far did he go? 206 yards. Okay. My dad and I were both shooting at it. We were opposite ends of the truck, um, and we each put two bullets into him. Before. So how does that work? Who? But it's on three. So I I was the permit holder. My okay. dad was the sub permittee. Oh. So I I took the first shot, and then dad can shoot at it as well. No kidding. Huh. Yeah. So it's kind of like party hunting. I mean, in Iowa, like party hunting, that's a big tradition, you know, and something I'm sure other states too. We should probably do something on party hunting at some point because yeah. it's a it's a foreign concept to a lot of people. Well, and that's realistically how most hunting was done when you're thinking back, like, your, you know, your dad, my dad, you know, those that group, 70s, 80s, like party mm-hmm. hunting was a huge part, probably 50s, 60s, all through, you know, that period. Party yeah. hunting was a big part of tradition in yeah. the area. So, so, okay. So you put a shot, he put a shot. Well, you both followed up right away. Yeah. Just said, we just trying to drop him. I assume. Yeah. 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 He was heading across the clear cut and we didn't want him to make it to the woods. So we were, we were shooting at him. Is it pretty dense, you know, as far as the terrain goes? Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, I mean, there were a lot of clear cuts that had been cut for a few years. So they were really good openings where you could glass a ways. Mm-hmm. but the woods in Maine are, are thick. So you're, it's hard. It's challenging. We didn't want them to go too far. So are you hunting during the rut or, you know, what, you know, what's the strategy on how to get on the moose? I mean, are you calling to them or you said truck and I'm, but I get that like Utah was yeah. very similar. The terrain you're driving, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 miles. And mm-hmm. then you'll, you know, you'll call mm-hmm. and you'll tr- check an area and then you'll go and, you know, yeah. go drive a long ways again. So is that, yeah. is that kind of the, the process? We, in the course of a week, we put over 700 miles on the truck. Holy I God. hiked more than 20 miles. Yeah. And, um, you basically, there's two seasons. So you'd have the last week in September and then the week of labor day. So there's two, you get drawn for one or the other weeks. So I had the September week. Typically that's not the best because they're not quite at peak rut yet. But because it was so hot in October that the September week was better than the October week because the bulls were moving around a lot more and they did not answer to anything that week of October. They just basically hung out in the bog trying to stay cool. I'm curious, is there any correlation as far as movement, you know, and and like deer cast as far as like, barometric pressure or the moon phase, or is there any correlation? Cause I know there are Austin land says it quite a bit for mule deer specifically, mm-hmm. but little bit on the elk side. It's the same sort of thing. You know, when, when everything is proven that there's not going to be a lot of movement, moose won't be moving either. You know, so they're a lot like deer. Yeah. On days where I had poor deer casts last year, I saw zero moose movement. <laughs> so <laughs> let me ask you, are you seeing, many moose at all or is it like hey this we finally saw one let's <laughs> let's get it um it was the first well it wasn't the first bull we'd seen two smaller bulls in the over the course of the week we saw a lot of cows um people were shooting a lot of moose mm-hmm. so we have we have decent moose numbers but we're also dealing with again ticks but it's a winter tick as opposed to the deer tick jesus and so we, I know, right? Maine so sounds like hell. <laughs> we, so the Bible just went out and collared a bunch of yearlings 
last year <laughs> to monitor like the, it's winter the hardest tick. thing we could do right and 90 percent of the calves died in the study Jeez, 90 i yeah, think i just saw you post about that you just talked you just posted about this didn't yeah. you yeah yeah so that's pretty heartbreaking i mean that's your, your whole age class for right. you know three four what how old was that moose that you killed. Do you know? Do you age them? It was it was seven and a half years old. They pull a tooth yeah. and then they age them. Okay, that's pretty cool. So, what's an average age that you? The average age is about that seven and a half, yeah. eight and a half. Mm. That's like that's peak, peak animal. Yeah. How long did it take to process? Like to to field dress it? Like, did you field dress it right there, or do you like? Uh, the talk beauty of that. having a guide. So mm. they just, I mean, they dressed it and then. It was a, a phenomenal system of rope and pulleys and trucks, and they got that moose out of the woods in under an hour. Holy wow. cow! Yeah, it was great. How many guys? How many guys were? Uh, it was it was three guys, and then my dad, me, and the cook from the camp all yeah. came out and just taking pictures and yeah. being a part of the process. That's cool. So, like, how many moose does that outfit or a guide? his outfit do they take in a year on average so they took five five hunters a week so figure oh, 10 geez. 10 total and then um if they do we have a special season for cows at the end of um october into november so potentially you're thinking 15 ish moose mm. a year Jeez, what a cool memory though for you and your dad to share together and, and i'm guessing your dad is probably who opened the doors to the outdoors for you yes so yes. How, like how like what age did you get started and what what were some of your early experiences that got you hooked so i didn't start hunting until i was 20 and it was more of like an act of rebellion because the guy i was dating didn't really think hunting was okay or oh, good and i was like well i know that what my dad's Spite doing hunting <laughs> right I got rid of him and went hunting. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> right? He's so the not best, a big boy. I just started going with dad out into the woods and shot my first deer, got hooked on it. We started building tree stands. And um, then in 14, we had the bear referendum here with a humane society. So I learned how to bear hunt so that I could write about it. <clears throat> and that's, that's basically how... I got as obsessed as I am. Okay. So backtrack a little bit. You started hunting at 20. What were you, what were you in college at the time? Like, what were you wanting to do for a profession? And did that and then end up kind of putting you down the path that you're on now? Um, when I, yes, I had my blog at the time, but it wasn't as sort of focused on hunting. And so it wasn't until a couple other fellow outdoor writers in Maine wanted to talk to me because, you know, it's a fee, it's a woman that hunts. Yeah. That I, I focused more on fine tuning my my blog to focus on the hunting portion of it's a girl. <laughs> I know. We feel that way about this podcast actually. I was gonna start with that. Didn't want to be sexist. <laughs> nice job. What's the name of your blog, Aaron? And a strong cup of coffee. Yeah. It's it, it's it's a it's an interesting read and I, I've always appreciated Aaron's perspective. Um there's a little bit of introspection, but there's like, there's always a takeaway 
you know, that that's, you know, whether you are a female hunter or a female outdoors person, um, or like for me, I'm a, I'm a dad and I have a daughter that is very interested in the outdoors and hunting. It's just interesting to hear Aaron's perspectives as an adult, someone that grew up and decided to hunt. And, um, so, so I, I, I just appreciate kind of, it's a very coherent view of the outdoors. We have a broad spectrum and I think we need all kinds of different voices making this a big tent kind of affair. I find yeah. the area that her focus is in is the fascinating part. You know, just that, that I just don't know much about it. And like you said, in the Midwest, we tend to focus on whitetails, turkeys. You know, I hear a little bit about the West. You know, some guys, you, you'll always hear of a guy or two, you know, going out West in the early season. Mm -hmm. But you don't hear of many people going to the Northeast to hunt anything, whether it's hey. turkey or, or moose or whatever, deer. So I find that pretty interesting. Well, I, I get a little <clears throat> anxious thinking about hunting out in in uh, the Northeast, because I think the political climate is a little more kind of socially progressive, a little more to the left of it, it than what it is here in the heartland. So I'm curious, Aaron, because it feels like you would always have like always be under a microscope. Like it's not as friendly of an environment to hunting as maybe it is here in the U.S. or here in the in the Midwest. Is that accurate or is am I kind of projecting? Um. I think we don't have as many hunters, but I don't think it's as polarizing as that. Mm, good. Um, I make a joke and I, I'm like the token hunter in a lot of the civic groups that I'm a part of. Uh -huh. So I will make a point of making like bear chili and bring it to one of these meetings because I want people to a eat it and then B realize that they know somebody that hunts. So it's not this, made up political here's here's who you think is hunting mm -hmm. but who who they know actually is hunting um and i talk about the hunt i talk about what goes into it and i just want them i'm always thinking about if there's another referendum how do i get more votes in our in support of hunters sure and so it's sort of like this educational you know aspect that i'm driven to get more of the people that i interact with in, um, involved with hunting, understand what hunting is and how it contributes to conservation here in Maine. I could imagine someone eating a bite of chili and you just leaning over and whispering, and I'm not wearing flannel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you're going with that. <laughs> which, which is the uniform out there, right? <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, so <clears throat> that's that's pretty interesting. So at these meetings, I mean, do you run into some pushback as far as what, you know, what they think hunting means to people. I mean, most non hunters think hunters are just absolute Hoosiers. Mm -hmm. I think that's like yeah. Hollywood has done a really good job of making us look really bad. Right. And so is that kind of the, the preconceived notion you're running up against or actually encounter at these things? Um, you have, I always run into the folks that are like vegan, vegetarian and think I'm awful and I don't, I'll never change their minds. Um, but you know, I, I trapped my bear this past fall. So a lot of people have, and Disney is great. Like they envision the, the traps that are going to come and like attack this animal's paw. Yeah. And it's really just a cable. So I bring it in and say, this is what an actual trap looks like. It's mm -hmm. not that Hollywood <clears throat> here, you know, here's this horrible life. animal being tortured. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, they can think what they're going to think, but I also want them to be aware of what's actual, what's factual and what's just made up 
they've saw it on TV because you can put anything on TV. That that really is where I think we have successes when you work person to person and make an impression <laughs> and make a favorable impression on right. people. Uh, uh, Jake uh, Arvold and I were out hanging a deer stand this past summer and uh, the lady on the neighboring property was walking her dog. She saw us and I was the first to say, oh, hey, how, how are you? How are you doing? And she's like, oh, are you the hunter out here? I was like, yeah, I, I, I hunt. And she was like, oh, these deer are so pretty. I just hate the thought of you killing. I was like, well, I, I agree. And I, they feed my family. So, and she was like, oh, you eat them? Oh, well then that's, it just totally changed her, her perspective on what I was doing. I think everybody thinks that it's just trophy hunting all the right. time. Every it's hunter is just a trophy hunter. It's not at all hunter. for me. <clears throat> well, but that's what's publicized. That's when CNN and, you know, MSNBC mm -hmm. and these people that go to hunt over in Africa, whether you agree or don't agree with it, all they see is that grip and grin coming back yeah. and that photo on social media and they don't know all the other things that go into hunting and what it means to how many, you know, how many people are only harvest a doe every year. Or, right. you, you know what I mean? That it's just strictly, they're hunting strictly for meat. You well, know? Before, yeah. before I, I came to work at Dre Outdoors full time, I was kind of like Aaron and that the, the professional circles I ran in were very politically left and socially progressive. And literally people did not, they really thought that hunting meant you go out and you shoot an animal in the woods and you just turn around, walk back to your truck and go home and just leave know. the animal there. <laughs> it's crazy. And these people are, are folks that consider themselves enlightened. And, and open-minded and, yeah. uh, and they just, they did not have a personal experience. I think say what you will about like Rogan and that podcast and what, you know, cause he, he does have a little bit of a, um, a, a view, a certain like view of hunting. And I think it's kind of romanticized almost. I've listened to a lot of his podcasts. Well, yeah. and he's, he's you primarily to someone else's podcast. Yeah. He <laughs> primarily, you know, he hunts out West a lot, right. Yeah. Or, you know, kind of a big game animal. And it's, it's just a much different style than I think about it a lot and how he talks about it. And it's like, th this is great. And the respect that he has brought it kind of made it a little more mainstream for a lot of people that listen, obviously mm -hmm. millions of people that listen to his podcast every week that would have never have ever even given it a chance mm -hmm. now think, Oh man, I, I, I can, I could get into that because it's such a fair chase thing. And, you know, you may or may not come home with something and it's, you know, Rogan's always eating, you know, always talking about eating elk or bear or whatever it is, sure. but that like, that's great and all, but the reality is like, that's not probably how hunting is for the majority of the country. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think it's great in the fact that he's opened people's eyes to make making hunting look more humane, less cave animal, you know, than yeah. what they, their preconceived notions are. But I think he's romanticized it a lot too, where people, if they go to try it and they're like, wait a second, this isn't really what I thought it would be like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, if you come to the Midwest, I think, so Cameron Haynes has been on all these podcasts lately promoting his new book. And he came into St. Louis and did Andy uh, Frisella's Real AF podcast. It was cool. Sal and those guys, they, they actually brought up jury, the juries or whatever because he was talking about how – Andy was talking about how he's, he gets invited to go hunting, bow hunting. Mm -hmm. He never had any interest. But Cameron swayed his opinion to make him want to try That's to, cool. to do it. And in my mind, I'm thinking we'll never – because we, we were – 
um, messaging each other, Andy and I, and I, he's like, I think I'm ready to go bow hunting now. I wow. think I'm ready to take up that invite. I said, Hey, invites always open, man. Anytime you want, we'll, we'll take you. But in my mind, I'm thinking we will not be able to live up to his expectation. Cause Cameron was talking about, you know, a, a brown bear hunt and being face to face with it and all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and it's not what hunting is for us. You know, yeah. it's, that's not the reality of our style of hunting. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, well, first of all, we're gonna have to stick this guy in a tree stand because uh-huh. he Take him in blind. a saddle. Yeah. He's like, this isn't, <laughs> I don't know that it'll live up to the hype. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we right. sit and we wait and we, you know, I mean, there's a lot of strategy that goes into it, but he's not going to be a part of the strategy. He'll be a part of the end result, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so I don't know, my, I, my mind, I started kind of thinking about it. It's like, man, I, you know, and I've listened to enough of the Rogan podcast that I think it's been romanticized mm-hmm. to the non-hunting public in a way that's not always realistic. It's great. And they're great mouthpieces for what we mm-hmm. do, yeah. you know, and, and I think swaying people who may still never hunt, but they can get on board with the fact that people do hunt. That's mm-hmm. great. Sure. But, but in my mind, I'm thinking it's not going to be what you're thinking. Temper your expectations. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> heck, even, even the field dressing process yeah. and deboning and everything afterwards, that's just a bunch of work. And especially yeah. if it's yeah. warm out and there's bugs and like, that's not the stuff that you get to see very often. Yeah. No. Which I wish it was, I, I wish we could show more of that in what we do, but it's just, mm-hmm. it doesn't fit the format typically. Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of realities to, to, to hunting that are not pretty or having to take a follow-up shot yeah. on a right. deer that's not, you know, going down immediately. Yeah. Which is like one of the worst feelings in the world as a hunter. Mm-hmm. And I, something resonated with me that, that Cameron said, he was like, Hey, I don't feel great about the shot. I'm meaning like, I don't feel happy about like, I killing, gotcha. Yeah. You know, and I, right. that I can relate to, like, I never feel happy. I feel, mm-hmm. I might feel, um, great in the fact that like, it was such a relief, like uh-huh. the, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of time and it's, you know what I mean? You put so much into it. I'm sure you felt like that after 20 something years of drawing at, you know, trying to draw this tag, like, boy, right. how exciting to kill a moose after all that time. But I never feel excited about killing something that part i feel a lot of reverence for right no i mean and i think that's one of the hard parts that non-hunters don't understand is it's not you know we don't go skipping back out of the woods after we've shot an animal it's very emotional and i mean we we were all hot messes when that moose went down like wayne the guide me my dad it was incredibly emotional because we had worked so hard for that whole week and then to be able to accomplish this goal but also to respect the fact that this was an, a magnificent animal that we were able to to take out of the woods, you know, it's it's a whole roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. Just for folks listening, hot mess is street talk for stricken with dysentery, <laughs> right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure, Tim. Yeah. Well, so so here's the problem: <clears throat> hunting is a very textured and complex experience, mm-hmm. and it's 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 hard to it's easy to paint with a broad brush it's hard to dig into the layers like you can have more than one emotion at one time right and the reality is there may be plenty of there are plenty of hunters who are excited about 
the killing, but not because they're killing. They're excited. Right. You know, they're just, they're excited about, the, I think about Mark or, you know, these guys, they genuinely love the hunting aspect and that's the end result of hunting for them. You know, everybody's different. So they all take your, y'all <clears throat> internalize it differently. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, when I, I know coon dog. Yeah. But when you see coon dog kill, whether it's a turkey or a deer, if you didn't know him, you could think, oh, geez, this guy just likes killing. But he has such a reverence for that animal, and he loves the the act of hunting. It's a culmination for him. I, honestly, and with him, that this isn't meant to be, you know, as a, a any kind of racial thing. But he is an American. You know, he's Indian. That's his. He's an American Indian. That's his heritage. And I just wonder if there's part of this bread from generation to generation that's inside mm -hmm. them that there's a different level of excitement mm -hmm. they lived off the land they i mean that's how they their heritage exists because mm -hmm. of hunting right? right they teach the rest of us how to hunt <laughs> you, <laughs> so, you could be an ethnographer yeah <laughs> this is good i just wonder if that's part of the reaction that's not even something he can control you know Down what i mean like it, yeah it's in it's in the genes yeah so i find that stuff fascinating so Aaron, because you, because you live and work in a, an environment that's not always, um, maybe educated about hunting, what mm -hmm. are some kind of practical tips? That, cause, cause a lot of folks that listen to, to this show, they work in environments or they go, you know, they, they are socially in environments where it's not friendly to hunting. What are some of the ways that they can be the best ambassadors? I think talking about wildlife management. You know, we talked about the deer numbers. If you don't harvest enough deer, they're going to get um, hit by cars. You, you run in the risk of chronic wasting disease. And so the management component in order to keep healthy social and biological carrying numbers. And then the meat. You know, I, I don't buy meat at the store. My freezers are full of meat that I have either harvested or um, a friend of mine has a farm. So I buy, you know, cow and chicken from her. Sweet. But I think I think talking to people just about all of the why we do it, why, you know, why I choose to go sit in a tree stand when it's four degrees out <laughs> to try to shoot a deer. You yeah. know, that's insane. No normal person goes and does that. But we do it because we love it and we want to be a part of it. And we want that opportunity to provide food for our family. Legit. Do you guys ever get hit with EHD? Up in the no, Northeast. not yet. And we don't have chronic wasting disease either. And um, it's in Canada. And so I'm just keeping our, you know, keeping our fingers crossed. That do you, do you guys have any it. rules against uh, interstate travel with carcasses or anything like that? I mean, they're tr trying to Deer be carcasses? proactive. Yeah, yeah there's, there's some regulations in yeah. place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hmm. Well, let's hope it stays that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we got to show we got to show Aaron the real wild clip this week let's do it, it this I, I know we're past turkey season for most in most places um <laughs> but this is a crazy <laughs> crazy this is the way i wish every turkey hunt would go so scotty found this one and he showed it to me i was like holy cow it's awesome and then aaron bennett sent me out of you know one of these private facebook groups he sent me the same thing like you know a couple hours later i'm like all right it's, make already, the it's making the rounds it's so cool <laughs> All right, check this out. The real wild clip of the week. 
Alright, oh, there's a turkey flying down off the roost, and boom, he did. <laughs> the quickest turkey hunt ever. This bird flies right down to this guy's shotgun. So he he got in tight on the roost. I mean, he's, he's within 20, 30 yards, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'd And the say. bird, when it flew down, it flew down within two yards of his gun barrel, maybe. I mean, it's right in front of him. What would you do? Like, I, I, my nerves would be razz- would be frazzled at that point. Like, oh, oh gosh, yeah. he's, co- he's coming in. Oh, he's coming in too close. Yeah, I mean, he flew. <laughs> well, you see the way the guy's shooting. It's like, holy cow! I'm, he's right here. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't know if he had a scope on his gun or not. I don't think. I think he was open sights, which actually helps him here. I would think so. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be able to find the. the yeah, he's open the turkey. Set. So I mean, that's crazy. You're done breakfast, early breakfast. I think that's what Scott told me. He's like early breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. He's shaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's looking <laughs> around <Trembling>. like, it. <laughs> it just happened. And then the icing on the cake is they were filming it. So, that, I mean, that's a story that you probably wouldn't believe if someone told you. Never in a million years would you believe that. He flew into my lap. I shot him. He was dead yep. right off the roost. I'm You'd be right. like, you shot him on the roost. <laughs> Shut <didn't> up. <laughs> right. This is why you don't bow hunt turkeys. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> Try to stick him. Oh. That's that was, pretty cool. That was wild. Aaron, have you ever had any crazy wild experiences out there in the the northeast in Maine? Have you ever had something so crazy that somebody wouldn't believe it unless it was filmed? I don't think so. Thank goodness, because I think I would do the same. I I would panic. I don't know if I would be able to to like wrap my ra- brain around what I was seeing. Yeah, and then actually make a good shot. It's like it's like when you see footage from guys hunting uh, grizzlies out in Alaska or Kodiaks on Kodiak Island, and the bear starts charging. It's like your mind is just probably locking up. Well, that's what most Ca- Cameron was talking about on, in that story. Is basically sh- he shoots a um, boar, and then it runs off, makes a crazy, you know, loud noise and mm-hmm. a sow who had some older cubs was mm-hmm. close she went over thrashed the the boar and then she sees him and his buddy oh, roy boy. and she comes sprinting at him and the buddy had to in self-defense at like 20 yards or whatever yeah. it was, had, to, had to kill Jeez. him so i can't imagine so are you do you guys you said you you trapped a bear this last year mm-hmm. you've you've shot or you've have you ever archery hunted bear up there no i want to make sure that when i when I shoot at it, it's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I have, I've hunted over bait. We, we allow four different methods. So you can hunt over bait. You can hunt with dogs. You can trap them and you can still hunt them. Hmm. And so I have, I've hunted over bait. It's boring. I don't like doing it. I've hunted with hounds and it's phenomenal. I will do it every single time. Um, and then this past year I trapped one. So the trapping, what are you putting out kind of a bait site by the yep. trap or are you just catching them going on a trail or how do you? No, you, you have a bait site that yeah. you set up and then we following the referendum in 14, we changed the way that we're trapping them. So you have basically a cylinder that you put into the ground and then you, you put the um, cable around it and then you, you're able to measure how tiny i mean there are regulations because it can't get too small you don't want to trap something that you know a a cub or a coyote or anything else that's in there um so you you tweak the cable to be the size that you want for the bear you have to put a bucket over it you put rocks on top of the bucket um you know a lot of extra steps but it ensures that when you 
trap a bear, it's a bear that you actually are going to want to, you know, you're not going to release that bear. Sure. So you want to make sure it's a good bear that you're going to shoot. So you're telling me that the trap itself, the wire, the cable, you have a bucket over the top of it, rocks over the top of that. So something smaller can't push it over. So what incentivizes the bear you're trying to trap to push that over and then step in it? So for, for my bear, it was a Boston cream donut. Hell yeah. (laughs) BCD. So he, he moved everything out of the way and put his paw down in there, and that was the end of it. The, the worst part is the bear never got to eat the donut, I imagine. <laughs> he I might know. have. He could have gone back in and scooped it out. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> that makes me feel better. Final meal, yeah. I always pictured that being the death of me, a donut. <laughs> <laughs> like a Homer Simpson-esque way of dying. Yeah, yeah. There are worse ways of going. Yeah. Right. So do you have to be as careful about scent control? And, you know, like we trap trapping predators. I mean, you got to be ultra sensitive with scent control. Is it the same with bear or not really? Because you're, I mean, you want them to smell like the sweetness of whatever it is that you're putting out there. I want them to smell the sweetness. I don't want them to smell me. Yeah. And so we are, the folks that I've always gone hunting with for bear are uber cautious. So Mm. like we have separate clothes that we'll wear to bait versus hunt. Um, you know, you're wearing gloves, so your scent's not getting on any of the, the bucket or the cable or anything else like that. So how many bears have you killed over the years? I've killed three. That's cool. That's awesome. And how much meat does that get you out of a, you know? Um, the one last year was about 140 pounds. So I came home with 60, 60 pounds of meat. Man, I would have figured it would have been bigger. Are they? Is that species up there, is that a smaller black bear or is it? On the bigger side, like right now, my the past couple I got were on the smaller side. Yeah, um, my first bear was 458 pounds, wow. so I don't need to shoot a big bear. Yeah, I, like I'm done. I've t- I've crossed that off my list. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Anytime someone says big bear, I think of the Great Outdoors with John Candy. <laughs> big bear, <laughs> big bear, chase, big bear. chase me. <laughs> it's a great movie. Oh, I love it. One of the I classics. <laughs> um, our buddy Zeb has. This week's question of the day for Old us. Old Zebediah. Zeb. <laughs> question of the day whoop, is probably brought to you by Tinsing Packs. Go further, hunt longer. You hunt I screwed up here. Okay. okay. So my question is, <laughs> do you think if you were to hunt a location that you have never hunted before, that you would come back with the same results that you do from these places that you've hunted for years and you know what there is for deer there and you know what you're looking for there? And do you think that you would come back with these results because of what you learned about deer and what you know about them? Okay. That's the Zeb. He knew I was going to screw up. He's like, okay. <laughs> Let's do this again. Um, I think, yes. I think your opinion or your tactics might change. You know, you might be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. You might I think about when we hunted Kansas last year, but I think of a guy like Mark or Terry, these, you know, name you know put great hunter name here Mm -hmm. and i would not ever put my name there but i think you get more aggressive in your tactics and you can't kill something that's not there first of all right yes so so, you know would we succeed as well in maine with aaron maybe not if there's not enough deer (laughs) up there yeah you know what i mean yeah but uh i I don't know aaron what do you think i don't know i I feel like if you know the property and you know where the animals are typically traveling versus going to a brand new location, 
I like, I would want to do some scouting first. I wouldn't want to go into it cold. And like you said, if you don't know the animals are even going to be there, why, why would you spend the time? You know, you can't, you can't just magically have a deer appear. Yeah. I think you got to do a little bit of homework from a standpoint of, do you have somebody that has boots on the ground that's there, whether it's you're hunting with a buddy or an outfitter or somebody in the area, is there any way to know, okay, what, what's the history here? Yeah. Right. You know, and, and then you can, there's so much you can do with e-scouting on the in maps mm-hmm. now and these apps. It's crazy. So I would think that you'd be able to kind of generally speaking, get a game plan. Like mm, this looks like a pinch point this. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's food here. Now what you can't count on is what food is there now, you know, right. if you hadn't scouted yeah. there to your point, Aaron, but you can, I think you can know enough to be dangerous go before you go there, mm-hmm. you know, and have a game plan at least. But to your point, you got to scout once you get there. Well, mm-hmm. You don't know until you get some actual eyeballs on deer you know, and see what's there. Yeah, that's my, my 2019 season was kind of like that. I Some things changed with my properties, and I was hunting different ground, and I didn't kill a buck that year. And, uh, and so it, it, uh, uh, for me, I know a lot of it is the historical knowledge of knowing where deer typically travel. But yeah, there is, for me, there is definitely, okay, I understand these principles and I can apply these principles anywhere, yeah. uh, regardless of where I am. Uh, and, and, and frankly, using deer cast really does help too. Mm-hmm. Definitely on honing in those weather variables. And, and that's, I mentioned Kansas, like we didn't go out there until we got goods and greats. Yeah. And it's like, we're not going to waste our time. It's just too hot. Right. We got a little bit of a cold front. It's like, all right, let's drive out there and, mm-hmm. you know, try to capitalize over this period. Cause you, you're trying to stack as many things in your favor as possible. And just generally speaking, will they be moving or not moving would be a huge one to stack into your favor. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that would be a major part of it. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, uh, the wildlife word. This. Oh, I was gonna say um, uh, the question today was brought to uh, was brought to us by Tenzing Packs. I this this turkey season, I use my hang time pack instead of a vest for turkey hunting. That's what Scott does, and uh, it was great. I was able to throw my all my camera gear in there, all my calls in there, and then when I pulled everything out and it was just sitting in the blind, I just laid all my calls on top of the pack, so I had it like a little, little, little table. table in there. Yeah. Oh, credenza. I lay snacks on the top of my head. This will be for 9 a.m. This will be for 11 a.m. <laughs> Something to pass and the time. Out. Well, I'm not killing turkeys. We're going to have to leave. <laughs> we're out of snacks. We're gone. Uh, so the wildlife word is brought to you by Scentlock, Proven Deadly. Woo-wee. Okay, and it's about ticks. I thought this would be apropos for Aaron mm-hmm. coming from yeah. Ticksville. A deer tick's lifespan is about three years. And during that time, they'll have about three hosts and transform through four physiological stages. In order, those stages are... You're up first, Aaron. (laughs) It's multiple choice, so... Still. (laughs) The four stages are A, egg, larva, nymph, then adult. B, egg, frittata, Nymph, adult. C, egg, infant, toddler, sucker. Or D, egg, larva, nymph, nymph, Satan spawn. Our, our nymph. Nymph. Give me your little nymph. Get over here. Just well, he kind of made him. it easy for you. Right. It's A. Yes, it's A. <laughs> Said with conviction. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. hey. you, were, you were eyeing that frittata. 
I was. I was. Sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, ticks go through four different life uh, life cycles or life stages, and they are egg, larva, nymph, and adult. I think you missed one. And Five. So- a-hole. <laughs> oh, the Satan spawn. Yeah, we could have accepted yeah. D, too. Yeah. Uh, and usually when they hit the nymph and adult stage, that's when they are on larger mammals like deer, raccoons, people. The The larval stage is when you'll find them mostly on mice and birds, smaller prey. So, Aaron, given the crazy amount of ticks up there, or do mm-hmm. you guys see crazy amounts of, you know... The the, the, you know, the things that come with it when, when people get it, like the d- different diseases and like, is it, yeah. are there certain, I mean, is there specialties up there, specialty doctors just based around this, I would assume? We have a lot of cases of Lyme. And yeah. so doctors are becoming more and more familiar with the signs and then how to treat Lyme disease. Have you guys gotten the Lone Star or the Alpha Gal or no. whatever? Um, we had, we had the Alpha, I think on one of the islands. And, and then that was like a one, a one-off because I don't think we've we've had any other cases. How the hell did they get on an island? I have no <laughs> idea. It, bird. It, uh, some bird must have carried it over. Damn birds. Right? They're outlaw birds. So basically we just bathe in permethrin and uh, <laughs> So, you know, who knows what you guys will end up with later on in life. <laughs> That's, so basically anytime you're going out in the woods, your clothes are already, you, every time you go out in the woods, no matter what time of year, you guys are wearing permethrin? Pretty much. I mean, unless there is a good like six inches of snow and it's been cold enough that you know that the ticks are going to hide in that, you know, undergrowth, then yeah. you're just, you're spraying down and hoping for the best and check. I mean, you can't, you're constantly checking yourself for ticks. If you get them on your face, I know it's super fun. Like, come things. to Maine and hunt. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I'll leave the Maine hunting day, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> you keep your turkeys. <laughs> We're shipping them to Texas. We don't want them up here. So shipping them along with. Huh. I wonder how Texas. Easterns. I wonder how Easterns do in Texas. It's an interesting because you know you think you know mostly Rios. Right. No, we're sending. We've sent. I think eighty of them now, and we have another twenty or forty that we'll send next year down there to try to repopulate. So are you part of those types of programs as well? Um, I know about them. I just need to like coordinate with the biologists to go out when they're catching them. They're in my district when they're doing it. Um, So it wouldn't be hard. That's pretty fascinating. How are they catching them? They net them. So they bait them. And then when they come in, they have the little net guns that shoot off and trap them. Can uh, a, an individual purchase a net gun, maybe from Amazon or Bass Pro? I don't know. Just I'll curious. have to look into that. Just curious. It'd be fun around here. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you took too long of a lunch break. I'll net you back in here. <laughs> All right, let's hit our shout-outs for the week. Let's we, do it, Tim. We've got uh, a, a completely impronounceable uh, person from Apple Podcast, Ina C.M., I don't know. And then come. Careful. Now you know how I feel pronouncing everybody's <laughs> names. <laughs> I'll just say unintelligible. But we appreciate it nonetheless. A plus podcast. Matt and Tim do a great job on the podcast. They must not watch. Wide range of guests and topics that keep it lighthearted and fun. Give it a listen. Thanks, dude. Thank you. Or do that. I don't know, I know which. I don't know. All right. We're going to welcome in some new I... Rack Pack members. We got 
Psy. <laughs> okay, so every week there's a fake one. This must be it. Psy Twindo. Psy. Yeah, you got it. Psy Twindo. Sight Window. Damn it. Sight Window. It's getting tough to come up with these. <laughs> Starting to drag the bottom of the, of the old barrel. I still can't figure them out. <laughs> Cody Freeman, Matt Freeman. Brothers? Cousins? I don't know. Lovers? <laughs> Well, that's a given. <laughs> Ryan Grant. Sorry, guys. I'm just messing with <laughs> What happens if the rack pack stays in the rack pack? Uh, we got a bunch more folks in there. Um, uh, so appreciate everyone hopping over to the Here's rack what pack. I'd like to do. We're not quite to 1,000 people in the rack pack yet. I, I want to sprint to 1,000. So everybody listening, if you're still listening, for whatever reason, mm. I want you to share it with all your buddies and get them into the rack pack. Anybody that's ever hunted, also tell them about the podcast. We have new hats, by the way. What? So this is a prototype. But I ordered, I just ordered a bunch. So I don't know, a couple of weeks here, we're going to have new hats. And if you leave a question of the day, you're going to get the new 100% Wild Richardson 112 hat. It's not a flat bill. And they're not cheap. No, <laughs> so, no, they're listen. legit hats. <laughs> I wore mine over the weekend and I like the fit. Just a Richardson 112. Oh, yeah. I got, I got the cranium for it. Big old noggin. Oh, I was, I thought it was a perfect set. Mm. Maybe not. Anyways, <clears throat> moving on. Uh, Aaron, how can people find you on social? Uh, I'm on Woods and Coffee. Okay. And you don't have to like coffee to enjoy her content. Trust <laughs> no. me, I don't like coffee, but I still read. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I need coffee to function. So You're I can't read. Content and coffee, the two things I love most. <laughs> yes. Cool. Um, do you have any trips planned for this year? Any hunting trips planned? No, because my Grand Slam cost me a lot of money. I'm just cruising this year. I see. I didn't know Tim invited you in for a saddle hunt in the suburbs of San Luis. <laughs> uh, we can definitely put you on a doe. I can pretty much guarantee that. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Don't guarantee anything. because right. I've learned that the hard you way. You will see a doe. <laughs> you can see one. May or may not be within I, shooting. Range. I do wonder right. how many people have canceled trips just because of fuel costs and how crazy everything <laughs> is getting right now. People are buckling down. Yeah. No end in sight. <laughs> nope. Nope. Okay. Well, on that note, <laughs> positive <laughs> note, sh shut this thing down. Be sure to tune in next week. Uh, it'll be the next episode. <laughs> we don't have a tease for you because we don't know who it might be. It could be a huge tease. Depending on what, how we publish these shows, yeah. it could be huge. Or it could huge. be just uh, you and me, Matt. Huge. Huge. <laughs> and I'm a big boy. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I think those are the best episodes. Yeah. Well, a lot of soundboard happens in those episodes. I love the fact we have soundboards of things that we say so we don't have to say them. <laughs> <laughs> the height of laziness. That's what she said. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, Aaron, we appreciate you jumping on. I, I, I love the articles in DeerCast. You do a great job for us and, and uh, love the content. So keep up the good work and uh, good luck this fall. Thank you very much. All right. All right. See you, everybody. Till next time. Bye. Peace out. The results are in. DeerCast said great. It doesn't exist anywhere else but in DeerCast. Hunters love DeerCast's exclusive deer movement forecast. Get ahead of your game with DeerCast.